morning. If you'd like to go ahead and open in your Bibles to Corinthians, that's where we will be looking at in just a few moments. The first book of Corinthians in chapter 4. As you do that, as you take out your Bibles and, and, and go to these passages, I'd like to say welcome to all of you who are here, especially our visitors. And uh, if you have the opportunity, uh, there should be a card in front of you. We hope that you would fill that card out, that we might have a record of your attendance with us. Uh, we're, we're incredibly pleased to have you with us and, and hope, as was said before, that you do feel like an honored guest. And we look forward to getting to know you better this, uh, after services. And this morning, as, we, as we're continuing on, we've we're been studying a, a series of ideas on issues that we're faced with as Christians, moral issues that we're faced with. And this morning, as we continue on in that series, we are turning our attention to the topic of gambling. Gambling. Now, you might be thinking to yourselves, "Well, you know, we've we've, cut, we've covered, excuse me, we've covered sexual immorality, we've covered marriage and divorce and, and homosexuality, and and uh, we, our brother Eric, he covered uh, suicide." And you might think, "Are we running out of things to talk about gambling? That that seems like it's kind of a, a small deal. That's small potatoes compared to all these other things that we talked about." I want, to, I want you to consider this morning that gambling might have a very real danger that is presented along with it. Something that we might not have thought of before. Something that obviously the world does not consider as a very real danger. I want to give you three thoughts this morning. Three thoughts to consider with gambling. But before we get into that, we need to first understand what exactly gambling is. What is it we're talking about when we talk about gambling? The, the definition that, that is just the easiest place to go and define is the dictionary. Go to the dictionary online and the definition it gives you is gambling is the wagering of money or something of material value on an event with an uncertain outcome with the primary intent on winning additional money and or material goods. We understand that gambling is the, the betting or wagering of money on something that is out of your control with the intent to try and win your money back and, and, and increase that money uh, in the process. Some examples of this would include things like government-sponsored gambling. We see that uh, uh, every day on, on the news. It seems like we're talking about the state lottery, how it grows and grows. Um, we see ideas of betting money on sporting events. Maybe it's the NCAA basketball tournaments. Maybe it's a, a horse race, but some sort of sporting event that you wage your money on. Games of chance. If you just go down the road a ways, uh, uh, there, we have casinos that, not in Kentucky, but across the state lines, you're going to find casinos and things such as games like roulette and blackjack and all these other card games and, and games that you just have no control over the outcome. And notice that in, these, in themselves, these games are not gambling. Horse racing is not gambling. The NCAA tournament is not gambling. In themselves, games like roulette and blackjack are not gambling. But it is the wagering of money on these set events that is considered gambling. Now you might think, well, what is so dangerous about that? What is so dangerous about gambling? Well, there's two things that I want, to, I want to add to this definition that makes gambling more dangerous to us and why we should consider it. And the number, first one is convenience. Gambling is very convenient. In fact, where do you go to get your state lottery tickets, your scratch-off tickets? You go to the convenience store. That's where they place these things at. And you've possibly been there and maybe been behind the guy that's buying two, three, four of them and scratching them off and buying some more and 
Not very convenient to me when I just want to pay for my gas and leave. But but still, we you, they're sold there at the gas stations. They're convenient because you find them in your offices. Maybe the office pool, the NCAA tournament has the brackets. Nothing wrong with these brackets, but it's very easy to throw your $5 in the pool and whoever wins at the end of this into this uh, series of games is going to take all the money. And in my office, where I where I used to work at it, we didn't. They did the NCAA tournament, but more often they did the big buck pool. Where at the beginning of deer season, they would all throw some money into a hat, and whoever killed the biggest buck at the end of the year got all the money. That's that was the kind of um, gambling that they would uh, in, enter into. And then we also see websites. I mean, not, and not just websites on our on our computers, but even websites, apps on our phones. It's everywhere. Gambling is everywhere. And there are so many places that are just so happy to take your money, to take your money and to use it for whatever they seem fit. And for most of the world, we are so happy to just give it to them. Another thing that goes along with this, another thing that makes it more dangerous, is the fact that there's a lot of religions that allow for gambling. In fact, the Catholic religion and the Jewish religion both set aside certain days where they not only prohibit it, but in some cases they encourage Gambling, Christmas and Hanukkah are these these two days that are that it is encouraged. So, if both the government and certain religions allow it, encourage gambling, what could possibly be wrong with it? As I said this morning, I want to go over three thoughts that I just want you to consider when we think of gambling. But still, before we get to those three thoughts, let's look at the arguments that are often made for gambling. The arguments that are made to to approve of gambling. And the first one is life is a gamble. You've probably heard this before. Life is a gamble. Maybe even accompanied with some Bible scriptures. Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11. Solomon said, time and chance happen to them all. So, uh, so many times people lean upon this passage and just say, well, well Solomon said that if, if time and chance are going to happen to us all, that life is, is a gamble, gambling must be okay. Because if Solomon said it, it must be good. It must be all right. Well, if we view life as simply a life under the sun, as Solomon talked about in so many places, life under the sun, if that's all we viewed life as, this would make more sense to us. It would make sense that time and chance happen to them all. But as a Christian, our life should be more than just simply life under the sun. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're now getting to that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 19, we understand that our life as a Christian involves more than just chance. It also involves the will of God. In verse 19 we read, But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills, and I will know not, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but of power. Again, this, this idea of the Lord willing um, what happens in our life to happen, even in James. James chapter, chapter 4 and verse 15. In this passage, we get the same idea, but we're told how we are to, to make our plans. It says in chapter 4, and verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or do that. It is not a, a simple chance um, that, that goes on in our life, but our life involves the will of God. So life is not gambling. Life is simply uh, the will of God. The second one that is brought up oftentimes is farming. Farming is a gamble. They, you'll hear things like a farmer takes a risk when he sows seed. He takes a risk by, by buying that seed with his hard-earned money, and he goes out and he plows his fields, and he puts it in the fields, and, and he spends time with it and waters it, and, and that costs him money too if, if it's not raining. And at the end of all this, what happens? 
Nothing. It doesn't grow. It all dies. Something happens. Maybe birds pick it all to pieces. When I hear this, I oftentimes think, well, these people, are, are they must be looking at my garden. They got to know that. That's how I garden. That's what happens whenever I try to grow things. But no, God, even on this, God has promised that there are going to be times of harvest and, and times of planting. In Genesis chapter 8, I'm going to flip back over to Genesis chapter 8 and look in verse 22. He makes this promise. He says, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. There will always be times where there will be a time for you to plant your seed, and there will always be times for that seed to grow and to be harvested. As long as the earth is around, God's promise to us is that is going to happen. And then in Psalms, we see that not only does he promise that, that's a way in which he blesses us. Psalms 104. <clears throat> Psalm 104 and verse 14. It says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man, that he may bring forth food from the earth. God uses farming as an opportunity to bless us, as an opportunity to show His love for us, an opportunity to provide for us. So no, farming is not a gamble. Farming is an honorable way to receive God's blessing and involves the blessing of God. Another one that you're likely to hear is, well, buying insurance is a gamble. Now, you might not hear this quite as much since the, the president decided that insurance needs to be mandatory for all of us. Uh, and so now we have mandatory auto insurance and mandatory health insurance. So you might not hear this quite as much. But still the same is said that you buy this insurance, whether it be health insurance, life, car insurance. You spend your money on this and you may not ever, ever need it. Well, the life insurance you might possibly need. But, but the health and the car insurance, you may never have an accident. You may never get sick. You might be one of these lucky people that just don't go through life ever having these problems. So buying that insurance, that's a gamble. You're really taking a risk there. I'd like just to consider that insurance is not a risk in itself. Insurance is a way of shifting a risk. It shifts a risk. An accident or an illness can bring about a great physical burden, a great financial burden onto a family. But insurance is going to take that risk off the family and provide it or place it on another party. In fact, the Bible kind of it kind of suggests that this is something we should be considering in 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Insurance is one way in which we can provide for our family in a time when we physically cannot provide for our family. Insurance is not a gamble. Again, insurance is simply a way to shift risk and to provide for others. And the last one that I want to consider this morning is investing. Investing, and this is probably one of the, the most used um, arguments and, and one of the hardest to, to answer because the fact is investing absolutely can be a gamble. Investing in the stock market, investing in a business, it carries with it risk. And it certainly can be, a, it can be a gamble, especially if it's done in a reckless way. If it's done with a, taking a chance of significant loss and unnecessary risk to your family. But in Matthew chapter 25, we see that the idea of investing is not completely foreign to the Scriptures. 
In Matthew 25, in verses 14 through 30, we read of, of the, the, the parable of the talents. And we read of these, these men that were given talents. And to the one talent man, we see that the Lord was not pleased with his return on this talent. And it says in verse, uh, starting in verse 24, Then he who received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But notice in verse 26, The Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. This idea in 27, some translations just come out and call it what it is. It is investing. You should have invested this money. Um, now obviously this parable had a greater meaning to us as Christians more than just how we, we treat our money. But the idea is that safe investments... Good, safe investments are not inherently evil. They are not gambling. And investing in itself, when done wisely, would not be considered gambling. The arguments for gambling are, are just simply weak attempts to defend something that is un, undefendable. When we stop to consider what the arguments against gambling are, we're, we're, we're going to see very quickly that the, the attempts to defend gambling are, are pointless. Because the first thing we're going to see is the principle of gambling in itself is sinful. In 1 Chronicles chapter 29, let's flip back over to 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and start reading in verse 13. Verse 13 we read, Now therefore our God we thank you, we praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. In First Chronicles, we're reading about how the things that we have are not even our own. In First Peter chapter four, First Peter chapter four and verse ten, we're going to see this again. All that we have is a blessing from God. Everything that we are that we are given on this earth, physically, spiritually, it is a blessing from God. In First Peter chapter four and verse ten, it says that each one has received a gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And this is we see the idea that, that we are stewards of these gifts. All that we have being a blessing, we are now stewards of these gifts. And we are going to be held accountable for our stewardship one day. The principle of gambling violates the ethics of good stewardship. But not only does it violate the ethics of good stewardship, it also violates the ethics of good hard work. In Ephesians chapter 4... Back over in Ephesians chapter 4 where our scripture reading was from. In verse 28, we read, Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. We are to gain from honorable labor. We are not, it doesn't say that we are to gain from some get-rich-quick scheme, but rather we are to be working for our money. First Thessalonians uh, backs this idea up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. It says that you may also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. The reason that God has given us these commands, that we are to be working, that we are to have this good work ethic, it's for our own good. 
It doesn't say we are to do this because this is just simply what you are to be doing. This is you are to do this so that you may lack nothing. You are to do this so that you can provide for others. The principle of gambling is to make a quick buck. The principle of gambling is to to try and, and not put out a lot of effort on my part, but receive back a lot of good. People who do so risk what is not even theirs to start with. The next thing I want to point out, the next thought that I want to consider, not only is the principle sinful, but the motivation behind gambling is sinful. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 Timothy chapter 6, start in verse, in verse 9 through 10. We read, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and, and into much foolishness and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for, some, or for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, in this passage it says the, the desire to be rich The desire to be rich leads to foolishness. It leads to lust. It leads to destruction. In fact, it goes on to say that a love for money, notice it's not, again, not money itself, but it is this love for money that's even caused some to even lose their faith, to fall away from the Lord. Greed is what's being talked about here. Greed, the motivation behind gambling. We can try to cover it up with whatever we want to try and cover it up. We can dress it up and make it look like goodwill. We can dress it up and make it look like good intentions. But ultimately, at the end of the day, underneath whatever we've decided to dress that motivation in, it's at its core, it is greed. It is this desire to be rich. In fact, another desire or another motivation that goes behind that is the desire or is covetousness. Excuse me. Covetousness. Turn over to Ephesians Chapter 5 and verse 3 through 7. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 says, But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. This passage talks about, and going on, it, it talks about how we are, if we are a covetous person who is an idolater, we don't have this inheritance. In verse 6 it goes on to say, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. These things that are listed uh, in this passage, it's uncleanliness, uh, fornication, right up there with them is covetousness. This idea of desiring more desiring and, got, and, and striving and making plans for getting and getting more and more uh, things that we don't have. It's carried over again uh, in Colossians chapter 3. And it talks about covetousness again in verses 5 through 6. Uh, it says, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, uh, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Again, covetousness, this idea of we're desiring money so much so, so much so that we're desiring it, that we're willing to take the, the teachings of God, the teachings that Jesus and the apostles laid out for us on how we are to live, how we are to attain money, how we are to use our money. We will take those teachings and we will set them aside 
so that we can gain more money. We will do it in, in any way that we can. As long as the money is coming in, that's what we want. That's idolatry. That is desiring money more than God. That you, you have now effectively placed God on a shelf lower than money. And you have placed it up and you are worshiping that rather than God. See, people gamble because they desire to be rich. They gamble because they desire to have more and more and they're not satisfied with what they have. Back over in 1 Timothy, it gives us the attitude that we really should be having. Back over in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, right after we read that for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, it says in verse 11, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. That is the attitude that we should have towards greed. That's the attitude that we should have towards covetousness. Those are the motivations for gambling. That's the attitude we really should have towards gambling. We will flee these things. The last point that I want to make to you this, this, uh, this morning in regards to gambling is that the fruit of gambling is sinful. We've looked at the principles. We've looked at the motivation. Now let's take a moment and look at the fruit of gambling. The first thing that I want to no- notice is in Romans 15. Romans chapter 15 and verses, verses 1 and 2. We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each one of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. You know, the question I have for for people who gamble is, have you ever really considered the people who lose? Have you ever stopped and considered those who are not not winning in in maybe the card game, in maybe uh, the state lottery, whatever it is that you're doing? You have, you have won, maybe you, you have some skill in, in bluffing, ultimately you have a skill in lying, so you're really good at, at deceiving people into thinking you have a, a worse hand than you do, and now you have, you have won all the money and everybody else is sitting there having lost. Have you ever thought and stopped to consider that maybe gambling takes advantage and exploits the weaknesses of others as opposed to what Romans 15 tells us we are to do? Romans 15 doesn't say that you are to exploit. It says you are to bear with. Bear with the scruples. That is just simply another word for weakness. Bear with the weakness of the weak. Not to please ourselves, but let us please our neighbors. Let us please them. Have we ever stopped to think, what about the lives that have been ruined? What about the families that have been torn apart? The marriages that have been dissolved because of you winning at gambling? Because of what you have supported in your, in your efforts to make a quick buck. Gambling's fruits are incredibly sinful. Another fruit that comes from gambling is a, a friendship with unwise friends. 1 Corinthians 15.33, we don't have to turn there. Most of us probably know this passage. Evil company corrupts good habits. Or maybe evil company corrupts good morals. It goes back to... Uh, in my mind, I always go back to a, a computer science term, uh, GIGO, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. The type of friends that we surround ourselves with are ultimately going to be the type of people that we tar- start to turn into. We've seen it time and time again where someone uh, who has good motives, who has a good understanding, uh, good morals, will surround themselves with friends that they know they ought not to be surrounding themselves with and slowly start to to just digress down a path of, of sin. 
But you might think, well, wait a minute, though. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying about all this gambling and stuff, but, but my gambling is just a, a simple card game with friends, maybe, maybe even fellow Christians. We're, 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 good, we're good buddies, and there's never anybody that's going to be out a lot of money. It's always for a small amount. But ultimately, what we are saying is we are joining in fellowship. We are being a joint participation with people who, who have a mind of greed, a mind of covetousness, a mind that, that doesn't value a good steward's um, value of how we should handle our money. It doesn't value a good work, it doesn't have a good work ethic. These are the kind of people that we are making our friends. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about this evil company. They ultimately will corrupt us. Sometimes even these friends that we think we're so good friends with can quickly turn into enemies. People who have sometimes thought they were making a, a friend, and maybe it was in a, an office pool of some sort, maybe it was on a higher level, maybe at, a, say, a horse track or something, and quickly a, a friend that we thought was so friendly and drug kind of got us, you know, hey, it's just a little bit of money, it's, just, it's not going to be that bad, that gamble, uh, to, to wager this money on this, turns out to be someone like a loan shark. Someone like a bookie who says, now you owe me money, and I'm not going to forgive this debt. You, know, we, you entered into this game, and I want my money, and I want it now. Gambling, the fruit of gambling, not only includes taking advantage of the weakness of others, it also includes making friends with people that might not be the best people for us to be friends with. Another thing I'd like to point out is that it leads to addiction. It leads to addiction. Second Peter chapter, chapter 2 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 19 says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. I can't think of a better description for gambling than 2 Peter 2.19. What's the promise of the state lotto? What's the promise uh, and the draw of these casinos and, and any sort of gambling the promise is you're going to have freedom. Freedom from debt. Freedom from re- uh, rejection. You know, everybody, everybody wants to be around the rich guy. All the girls like the rich guy, the guy with all the money. He can buy the best clothes. He can buy the best car. Everybody wants to be friends with these rich people that can buy whatever dresses they want and buy the cars they want, the houses they want. Uh, just... just You have no worries because you're rich. You have all the money. That's the draw from gambling. But as as 2 Peter talks about, they promised them liberty. They promised them freedom. But in fact, they they enslave them. They bring them into bondage because, because when you get into it, and all of a sudden you don't have that freedom yet, but it's there. It's right at the next hand. It's right at the next game. The next trip to the casino, that's where it's going to be. You're going to strike it big. I just know it. And so next thing you know, you're enslaved. You're addicted to gambling. This quote that I found from a man by the name of Hans Breider, he's the co-director of the Motivation and Emotion Neuroscience Center at the Massachusetts General Hospital. Neeks quoted as saying, they, they did this experiment, and he quoted on this experiment saying, monetary reward in a gambling-like experiment Monetary reward in a gambling experiment produces brain activation very similar to that observed in a cocaine addict receiving an infusion of cocaine. 
when you're addicted to a drug, whether it be cocaine or, or any other drug that that man has created, when you're addicted to one of these drugs and, and you desire it and you need it and you just can't you can't live without it the way you, you you feel like that. When you receive it, your brain does something. It opens up uh, all these endorphins. And I, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm not the most qualified person to speak on this. My very little bit of knowledge on it. But but what it does is it opens up these endorphins that make you feel really good. That's why people want it because it, it gives them this high, this real warm, fuzzy feeling that this is what I should feel like. This is happiness. I feel good. Addiction to gambling is the exact same way. In fact, studies have shown that whenever whenever someone wins at gambling, they feel good. When you think about it, here's some free money. If somebody just gives you money on a birthday, that feels good. But but in gambling, you get this you get this feeling. I've gotten some money. I didn't have to do anything for it, and and man, this feels so good. And your brain reacts the exact same way. It releases those endorphins, and soon, just like the drug addict, you say, well, I've got to have that feeling again. And just like the drug addict, it takes more, and it takes more, and it takes more. And we fall further and further down this hole that gambling creates, this pit. And then it oftentimes leads to other sins. Studies have shown that as debt increases in those who are addicted to gambling, so will their desire to turn to other means to get their money. A lot of times we see that coming in the form of theft. People who will, maybe it starts off small, and they, the neighbor left the garage door open. I'll just go over there, sneak a tool out of the garage, I can pawn that for some money. Maybe it starts out smaller than that. I'm going to swipe this out of the kid's piggy bank. I'm going to take this out of the family vacation fund. Our savings deposit, all of a sudden, uh, our savings account is depleted. People want to know where the money comes for, is going. Fights begin to break out. Families are torn apart. People abuse their, their family members to try and control what's going on. Divorce oftentimes comes from this. It leads to a whole litany of other sins and even can lead to mental disorders that, spe- that, that come out of this. People who gamble, they don't consider how they hurt themselves. They don't consider how they hurt others. Nowhere in the Bible will we read the passage that says gambling is a sin. Thou shalt not gamble. And maybe that's what you're thinking this morning. Maybe, maybe as, I, as we went over this thing, you say, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know what? The Bible never says gambling is a sin. It doesn't say it. Turn over to Galatians chapter 5. Because you're absolutely right. The Bible does not say that gambling is a sin. And I have no desire to stand up here and speak on something the Bible is silent upon. But read, read with me in Galatians chapter 5, and verses 19 through 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, Murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Let me pose a question to you this morning. Which of these is gambling more like? Is gambling more like the flesh? Does its characteristics line up more with that of the flesh? Things It says that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Or does gambling line up more with the fruit of the Spirit? With love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Does gambling sound like self-control? We don't need to look very far to see that gambling is sinful. No, the Bible never comes out and says it's sinful. The Bible doesn't have to come out and say that it's sinful. The motivation behind gambling is greed. It is fueled by a covetous desire to get rich. It is extremely harmful to both yourself and to others. Our scripture reading this morning was Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 20. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 20. And the whole point of this passage in Ephesians was for us to not be blinded by sin. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't be blinded by sin. Maybe this morning you've been taking a gamble with, with your spiritual life. I want to come out and be just blunt with you this morning, brothers and sisters. If you have not yet chosen to become a saved child of God, you're doing a lot more than simply taking a gamble. There is no way to win. There is no way to win without the hope that is found in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15 In verse 54 through 58, we read, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. Immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The imperishable, the immortal that is talked about here in this passage, it's found in obedience to Christ. Obedience to things such as repentance, such as confession and baptism, and especially obedience to be steadfast. If it be your desire this morning that that you can know that you can take away the debt that is in your life. You can take away the debt that sin has produced. If that be your desire this morning. Or maybe, maybe you realize that you have not honored that washing that you received to take away your sin when you became a child of God. Won't you let it be known? The saints here at this congregation, we desire, fervently desire to help you. To assist you, whether it be in becoming a child of God or whether it be in continuing your walk with Him. But we can't do so 
until you let us know. Let us know that you desire our help. Let us know that you need it. If there's some way we can help you this morning, won't you please come forward now as we stand and sing.